0: warning is currently in force. News and weather, RTHK.
1: Good morning. This is Fact Chat for Thursday, March the 16th. Welcome to the show. I'm Andrew Work.
2: And I'm Janice Wong.
1: On Thursday's BackChat, Chat, we're looking at a possible bus fare hike. Hong Kong franchise bus companies have applied to raise fares by up to a whopping 50% on some routes, less on others.
2: Kowloon Motor Bus has asked for permission to implement a 9.5% increase, while its sister company Longwind Bus is hoping to charge passengers 8.5% more,
1: according to a government paper submitted to LegCo. New World First Bus and City Bus, meanwhile, are asking for an across-the-board Hong Kong $2 rise. The new Lantau Bus wants an increase of 9.8%.
2: City Bus also is also seeking to raise fares by 50% on its airport services and wants a 23% increase for the rest of its regular and overnight services for the airport and North Landtown bus network franchise. These fares have not been adjusted since
1: 1997. And after 9.45, we'll look at the health risks posed by dried meat snacks that you love so much. After the Consumer Council found out that more than 40% of samples tested... Uh, contained possibly carcinogenic contaminants let us know what you think on our facebook page backchat on rthk radio 3 email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 88266 and uh, we got a spectacular panel lined up for today we've got uh, michael tin roundtable convener and legislative counselor good morning Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We've got uh, Dr. Timothy Howe, Honorary Associate Professor, Faculty of Business and Economics, HKU Business School, the University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Dr. T. Good morning. Good morning. And morning. we have here with us in the studio, Alec Jane, Managing Director of Trans Consult Asia. Good morning, Alec. Good morning. Good morning. Alak, you kind of kicked off a little bit of a firestorm on LinkedIn last night. Uh, You're uh, putting your views out there on these proposed bus fare rises. What is it that's got people so excited?
3: Well, uh, fundamentally, bus fares are always a very charged up affair. Everybody gets excited about it anyway. So it's nothing much I had to do. But the point I was trying to make was that what... As a city, what do we want to achieve? We want to achieve higher ridership on public transport. We want less usage of private cars. We want to make public transport very attractive. I mean, Hong Kong, one of the key defining factors of Hong Kong has been that 90, almost 90% of daily travel actually happens on public transport. Mm-hmm. No other city in the world comes even close to what Hong Kong is. Mm-hmm and what are we and one of the key reasons for that is our public transport is a good system it's affordable people use it people find it much more attractive as compared to owning and driving a car and i think fundamentally if we are making that differential less attractive by increasing the prices that bothers me because that will lead to a lot of detrimental scenario you will have more people buying the cars because public transport is more expensive that will increase the congestion that will slow down buses that will make it less attractive. And then you know, you are in a vicious circle. It's a negative spiral that will just destroy the way of life that we have in Hong Kong. And I think that is what really bothers me. And and that's what I want to address. Other thing which bothers me is that we seem to have these fair increases. I mean, yesterday, there was a government press release, which basically says, trust me, I'll do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And as a member of the public we i don't think that really inspires a lot of confidence at the moment because there needs to be some objectivity to the way we adjust the fares mtrc we know there's a formula there is an affordability cap there is all of those things it's not perfect but it is something there which we can refer to Right now, what we are saying that, oh, bus companies are losing money, hence we need to increase the fare. Mm-hmm. Just imagine if all, all Hong Kong businesses did the same. If MTRC said, I lost 90% of the profit this year, compared, as compared to last year, hence I need to increase the fare by, you know, double the fare. That's not the sound logic, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. A business is a business, you know, we have to put that aside, and a service is a service. Mm-hmm. So we need to separate these two, disengage these two, and then deliver the service, what we want to achieve as a city. and And I think that that's what I, I'm. That's what my position is at the moment,
1: my, Michael Tien. Uh, so, how does the government balance off the needs for affordable transport and and making a profit? I mean, no profits, uh, no reinvestment, uh, no fair salaries for workers, that type of thing. I mean, how, what is the government's strategy for balancing off the need for the bus companies to make profit and pricing?
4: I've been pretty consistent in putting, <coughs> pushing for forward a proposal <coughs> to have all public transport. Uh, transport in Hong Kong uh, uh, come under a
5: annual fair adjustment with a formula
4: that is so simple and so fair and just that every citizen can understand and can uh, resonate with, which is CC, uh, the CPI index. Uh, <clears throat> the so-called inflation. Now, what happened is over the last fifteen years, from 2008 to uh, 2023, the actual average increase uh, for MTR under that formula is about 70% of inflation. 70%. The two bus companies actually, because they haven't. Uh, done anything to the fare for a long long time now asking for ridiculous uh, uh, rise in fares and and if we give them exactly what they ask for now, uh, by the way, which uh, for uh, new bus and city
5: bus they're adding two dollars to each trip right mm-hmm. i've calculated
4: the weighted average is twenty five percent would you believe? 25% over two years. That's what they're asking for. Of course, KMB is asking for 9%, uh, 9.5 over two years. But even if you include that, and if you go from 2008 to 2023, what do you think the average increases compared to in- uh, inflation? Yeah. I mean... It's actually the same as inflation. Mm. Okay? So, in a sense, you could say that... Uh, their request lately, if you look at it over the long run, is not too far off from what MPR is doing. MPR, over the 15 years, is increasing their fare by 70% of inflation. And the buses now, including this ridiculous request lately, is only at par with inflation. So I've been pushing for the proposal to say, let's just have a formula tie in with inflation for all public transport every year, okay? So, in other words, what it, what the problem now is, they have two sets of fare increases mechanism. One is a formula, and it happens every year, and the other is an EXCO, an application to XCO which they can stall if, uh, you know, the political heat or pressure mm-hmm. is up at that particular moment. That should not be the case. I have to be fair to both passengers and the operators. And my proposal is very simple. Have all these fares increase at 50% of inflation. 50% of inflation, okay? And then the other half, uh, uh, anything above 50% of inflation, they then go to EXCO to apply for... Any subsidy, so Exco then deal with them, uh, leaving the passengers out. Mm. And if Exco saying that based on the books, okay, they have no right to ask for any subsidy. They just say no. If they do, they then subsidise uh, the bus companies based on dividends they receive from MTR. The reason why the bus companies are now trying to catch up with increasing fare is because they're losing patronage. Mm-hmm. They're losing patronage because we're building more and more lines. The share of the pie for MPR is increasing every day. How do you think, how do you expect the bus companies to survive if they have lower ridership, all right, and they cannot even increase their fare at the same level with MTR?
1: Right. And so... Uh, okay, so there's there's a lot to unpack in there. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I've just been into it for too long. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so I mean, I mean. So if we're looking at, a, so just if I can summarize a little bit, you're proposing that instead of having price shocks after years of not raising prices, better if we have an inflation linked package, which is half based on inflation, and then anything above and beyond that, they should come and ask for the government for for bigger increases, um, potentially subsidized by MTR dividends.
4: Is that hey, you're a, that pretty good. How come you summarize everything? That's journalism. <laughs>
1: That's, That's what we do. That's what we do. Timothy Howe, Dr. Timothy Howe, what do you think of that? Is that is it, do you think this is a solid formula, uh, or would you tweak it in some way?
6: Well, I thought that we do have the Public Bus Services Ordinance, Cap 2230, in which fares of franchise bus services are be charged according to to uh um six factors okay first operating costs revenues, futures, future future cost revenue return public acceptability affordability quality quality of service providers so. the most important thing is the last one which is the outcome of the supportable fare adjustment rate formula which is i understand uh, comes from the public transport fare adjustment mechanism over the years and the formula is very clear and that is that it's based on half half, okay, 50% change in nominal wage index for the transportation section. And then the other 50% is the change in the composite uh, com- uh, consumer price in- index, CCPI, okay. And of course, there is a, a reduction, uh, reduction from that, just deducted from that. Half point five of productivity gain, which is right now currently set at zero point three percent per annum. Uh, originally, when it came out, it was about point five, if I recall correctly. In fact, this public financial welfare adjustment mechanism comes from Singapore's system. Okay, if you if you trace mm. it, you know, originally, that's that's basically how the thing came about. So, this is all set very clear. Okay. So, so uh, we don't need to come up with a new formula. okay? Apparently, it's worked very well. Of course, I understand, as Michael Team alluded to, that is that if the political heat you know ratches up, okay, the government essentially says, "Oh, well, you know, we will have to worry about public acceptability, affordability, et cetera, et cetera. okay? Uh, in particular, they will look at the median monthly household income, okay. Uh, besides the uh, composite consumer price index (CPI), so you know, if we apply this formula, and I did this with all six companies' applications, okay, I find that some of them, okay, are justifiable. Some of them are not, and some of them it's not clear. Just like uh, Michael Team suggested, uh, the two dollars, okay, uh, he said he worked it out, to average twenty-five percent. Now I'm, I, I don't know about that, but what what uh we can of course uh use a couple of examples to illustrate okay if you if it's from um you know add let's say city bus 5b from three dollars ten cents to five dollars and ten cents comes up to whopping sixty four and a half percent if wow. you take um you know so uh sorry that that's it, uh that's city bus 98 by the way 5b is 620 to uh a twenty—that's forty-seven and six point six percent. But there, there, the, the other thing about city bus actually, um, you know, is fine because the fifty the percent increase, okay, is just within the uh, supportable fare adjustment rate formula of forty-nine point three six percent. Okay. In other words, if we follow this, okay, it is clear that for KMBs, okay, motor buses, okay uh nine point five percent what they ask for okay is actually the the um the s f a r formula is two point three one percent The c c p i by the way is two point nine five percent okay now of course for long win okay uh they asked for eight 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 and a half percent okay c c, c- p i since last month was thirty four point three six percent and the formula says 3669 percent. Okay. Now, uh, uh, New Land bus I don't support because of the fact that they, they want nine point eight percent and the S F A R rate is two point three one percent, okay? And so on and so forth. Okay. So
1: Well Tim- all Timothy, these can I ask you can I can I, right I Timothy, just can I ask you a question on the so on and so forth. <laughs> Is that based on a like a one year calculation from last year, or is this assu- or is, no, this, no, no. is this assuming that they no, haven't we- had raises for a number of years?
5: Well, for
6: some of them, it's two or three years. Okay. For yeah. KMB, okay, it's uh, since um, last time, okay, which was um, uh, April 4, twenty twenty one, for instance, okay.
5: So. Uh, two and, years.
6: and the thing is that, um, and and. Um, the, the, the point there is that this comes from basically the legal agenda paper for, for tomorrow. Fair increases applications for franchise operators. Okay, so, so clearly laid out. Just Google for it. No, okay. So, I mean, we do have a public transport fair adjustment mechanism. I don't know why they changed it to uh, this this very very uh, strange name. Okay, but of course the strange name suggests that we don't really need to follow this supportable fair adjustment rate. Okay, It's a mouthful, Far formula, mm. okay? Okay. So, we, we. I mean, we. of course, we can tinker with this, okay? Yeah. We don't need to come up with a whole new formula of CCPI. For, this has been debated for a long, long time.
1: So we have the formula. We should just apply it and not mess around with it. Michael Tin, what do well, you... Well, you...
6: <laughs> I would think, as an economist, that, you know, first of all, okay... I mean, you, you can't, just like you, you put it very well, okay? You know, basically it's trade-off, right, um, between passengers and uh, and uh, company, you know, I mean, you know, you, you say that we should have no price increase, therefore no reinvestment, you know, you can't pay your workers, et cetera, et cetera, okay?
1: Nobody wants and it.
6: the company goes bankrupt, Yeah. okay? So, so we have to do a trade-off, okay? Mm. But I would say instead of the six factors, we should go for something more... Um, you know, objective. Yeah. Okay, supportable, fare adjustment rate formula is fine. We call it public transit fare adjustment, similar to the MTR thing.
1: Mm. So, Mike, Michael, Michael, Tin, what do you make of all that? I mean, are, are the bus companies being hard done by in the past, and now they're now they're making up for lost time? I mean, I, I know, I know a and lot you of you All the order
4: for figures for the last fifteen years. Yeah, the last fifteen years uh, with this strange formula that is totally unexplainable to any common citizen. Uh, I have people coming up and they ask me, what does the uh, uh, salary increase in the transport sector have to do with my affordability? I mean, if they don't raise the, uh, if if they don't uh, make working conditions better, shorten the hours, blah, 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 they couldn't get drivers, okay? So then they have to pay more. Maybe it's the management that's the problem. And if uh, people don't want to become uh, drivers, uh, why penalize us? So first of all, a lot of citizens these days are saying the fare increase in the transfer sector has nothing to do with me. The only thing I care about is inflation, because that's the thing that I can touch and feel. And a lot of other parameters... Uh, with, with regard to government fees and everything, is based on that, and then they come up with this minus point six, which, honestly, I have no clue what how they calculate that. This productivity, you know, they they give it a new, a very fancy term for productivity. I have no idea what it is. Nobody can ever explain it clearly to me. So I told them. If after you do A plus B divided by 2 minus 0.6 over all these years, and people keep saying you're making so much money and all your money is from uh, selling flats, okay, Hmm. you should uh, even give us a reduction. This argument can go on forever, but it's Hmm. two different businesses, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) So I asked them to just simplify that formula and just link it with inflation. And in fact, over the last so many years, <clears throat> the actual relationship to inflation is about uh, uh, 70% of inflation. So I say, if you don't want to do anything to jeopardize your interest, at least you change that formula to 70% of inflation, and let's have a debate. I asked for 30%. You stand for a 70 At least it's a big step forward to simplify the formula. And then on top of that, you have to relate it to... The profit for that year which I'm quite sure they're gonna do they're gonna have a formula and then uh, that formula would be uh, 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 a very uh, scientific way uh, that can be open and, and uh, very uh, clearly explained and that would be the cap and for any particular year if their profit is exceeding certain level they will take a certain percentage of that figure, uh, and that is to address uh, public concern that you're making all that money not because of the fact that you are carrying passengers more efficiently or better, whatever, it's simply because you're getting all these land subsidy from government and flat prices are growing up every day. Okay, so mm. I know for sure they're going to do something like that. Whether or not they're going to change the formula and simplify it is something that I've been discussing with them on an ongoing basis. But today's uh, uh, discussion is not about MTR's formula, it's about what to do with the other mechanism uh, that applies to uh, buses, okay, uh, which is that uh, they have to apply to XCO and then XCO can stall them for another. Period of time, and that would result in these jerky price uh, changes. Uh, you would have something, you have no change for five, six years, and then all of a sudden, seven or eight percent, which is what's happening now.
2: Mm. Right. Mr. Tien, um, you're just going to stay with us for a few more minutes. So before you go, I just want to ask about uh, tomorrow's uh, transport panel on LegCo. What do you hope to hear from officials? I mean, um, earlier, Mr. Jane, he, who's talking about the government's uh, statement, uh, what the government said, basically, trust me, I'll do the right thing. That's uh, what they sort of said, because uh, they're saying that... Uh, um, they, they may consider rejecting the application. They may consider uh, reducing the rate of increase. What do you hope to hear from the, from the government tomorrow at the panel?
4: As I said, looking at their request, it is not totally unreasonable over the long haul. But however, to hit the public all at once is something I would not support. So most likely what government would do, because they've given them an increase two years ago, they would either stall them or give them uh, a percentage of what they want, and then with the remainder, maybe two, three years years later, that's what they'll do, okay? Uh, And I think uh, that is uh, a responsible uh, action from government uh, because I think the two bus companies, uh, the recent increases is actually making up for uh, the past, all right. And if we want these bus companies to really run it seriously, put in enough manpower and resources, and maintaining the buses and hardware, and updating them in the long run, you know, I actually worry that nobody wants to run bus franchise anymore.
1: That's the question that needs to be answered. That answer is something at some that point. really yeah. bothers me.
4: You know, what what yeah. do they have? They go to all that they transport, they transport uh, carry people. so many people around daily and look at the size, look at their revenue and their profit uh, compared to uh, MPR because mm-hmm. they have no uh, land subsidy. that they, they, business is totally non-real estate, whereas MPR is actually more of a real estate company. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I worry that <laughs> nobody would want to run buses in Hong Kong if we really don't treat them fairly, and give them something. I feel that if you have a fixed formula that applies every year and somehow linked to e- inflation, they may actually uh, uh, think about it.
3: But they didn't want to do it. I lock Jane. <laughs> Quick comment there. I mean, we we just talked about that, you know, nobody would probably try to run a bus service in Hong Kong if we don't do it well. I think that is a point that I would like to ask. When was the last time we actually tried to get someone else to run the bus service in Hong Kong? There is no contestability in the market. It is currently almost like a monopoly and every franchise renewal is based on the fact that this guy is doing okay let's just continue for another 10 years we we
1: had a consolidation even
3: yeah and and honestly that part of the you know equation we use a lot of that for justification that the bus companies would not operate if there is not enough pie on the table. But we have never tried. Singapore has gone that way. Mm. They have gotten new players to come in the market. The price of everything or price of cost, cost of operation has come down significantly. Hong Kong hasn't done that exercise. So I don't think that argument is really a fair one at the moment.
1: And an opposite view comes from one of our people on uh, my
4: email. Oh, Can I correct we're, that? We're, we're at if the top of the half new hour. Bus, they've changed uh, hands three times. Okay. And now it's the newest owner of Newbus <clears> that says they can't survive anymore, right?
1: And there is your repost from Michael Tin. Uh, Change
3: of ownership is different from contestability. Oh.
4: Okay. Change of ownership is because the previous owner says, I can't survive anymore, so they give up.
3: Michael Tin, we're going to have to have
1: you back on the yeah. show, unless you're going to stick in for the uh, second part. I know sure. you're scheduled to leave at the half hour, but uh, let us know. We've got to, we do have to break for the news. Uh, I'm going to give you your weather before we go out. Mainly, five, dry, mainly fine, dry during the day with a maximum temperature of about 27 degrees. Temperature now is 21 degrees Celsius, 78% humidity. And now the news with Todd Harding.
0: South Korean military say North Korea has fired a long-range ballistic missile. It's third this week as President Yoon Suk-yeol headed to Tokyo to boost ties in the face of Pyongyang's growing aggression. The launch also comes as South Korea and the United States stage their largest joint military drills in five years. Financial regulators in Switzerland say they're ready to provide liquidity to underpin the troubled banking giant Credit Suisse if needed. Shares in the bank went down by 24%, sparking a wider sell-off in European stocks, which closed down more than 3%. And Poland has arrested a group of foreigners on suspicion of spying for Russia. Officials confirmed media reports that the suspects had been monitoring transport infrastructure close to an airport, which acts as a hub for aid bound for Ukraine. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock.
1: Oh, because it didn't go up.
3: Or a movie are all creative expressions. Original works in a
6: physical or digital format, or communicated to the public by any mode of electronic transmission, are protected by law. Respect originality to encourage creativity, unlimited by boundaries to last forever. Use genuine digital copyright works. The latest amendments to the copyright ordinance will be in force on May 1st,
1: 2023.
5: My friend and I started smoking in our teens. I quit two years ago after knowing he had a
1: stroke. The doctor said there is a strong link between stroke and smoking. Five years after quitting, the risk of stroke can be reduced to that of a non-smoker. Health is the most important thing for me and for my family. I will never smoke again. Quit now. Call 1-833-183. We're back on Back Chat with me, Andrew Work, sure. and Janice Wong, and we've got a couple of guests with us today. Uh, continuing, we have Dr. Timothy Howe, honorary professor, honorary associate professor, faculty, of business and economics at the HKU Business School at the University of Hong Kong, and also Alec Jane, managing director of Trans Consult Asia. Who uh, we were reminded during our very short break that he actually could run a bus company. Uh, we were talking at the be just before the break for the news that uh, you know if, if bus companies can't continue under these circumstances they're kind of threatening that maybe nobody will want to run the buses. But Alec Jane,
3: would would you run a bus company in Hong Kong under the current circumstances? Oh, anytime. I I think what what the bus company is still in Hong Kong has a lot of value. And I'll just refer back to a few years ago what KMB had done. Uh, In 2012, KMB made a loss of approximately $120 million. And then it went through a big reform over a period of next three, four years. And I was actually working in KMB at that time. And by 2016, KMB reported a profit, a record profit, which it it had never done before. And that was running the same number of buses approximately, same depots, same number of people. Same prices? almost the same prices i mean of course the routes the routes were reorganized during that period and that is what we need to do we need to reform the route planning in hong kong in such a way that it serves people and it carries a lot of people on the buses and that's what actually makes money in the in the end mm. so we need to reform of course the route re- we have to do route restructuring it's an arduous process but it is doable we have been everybody has been doing it over the period mm. and and the idea is in hong kong what i can say that people do value a good service, people are willing to pay for a good service. Yep. And if we are going to take this slash and burn approach to route planning and to running the mm. services, which we had been doing in the last three, four years, and of course we, we have a lot of excuses. It's a litany of excuses. Sure. We say MTRC is expanding network, COVID hit us, this and that. But end of the day, you have to see people were still traveling in Hong Kong. Hong Kong was still closed down, uh, you know, from outside world, and, and locals were traveling. The services went much much worse I I use bus services and I can tell you my personal experience with bus services had been very poor in last three years Mm. so it's a poor service which is driving people away to other modes of transport it is not and I think that's the area of focus if you do that people will ride buses Again, going back to KMB time from 2012 to 2016, if you see, KMB was the only transport operator during that period, which was increasing market share. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was coming on the back of providing a better service to people.
2: then when you talk about poor services over the past three years, what are you talking about?
3: Well, erratic headways, um, you know, long headways, sometimes you're standing at the bus, bus never comes, you know, mm. the missing trips. So a lot of those things which upset people away. I go to MTR station, the train is always there, yeah, right? Guaranteed. And exactly, the bus needs to provide the same value preposition of reliability and punctuality. And that's when people use the buses. And I think that is paramount. That comes much before any fare, anything that you charge. So
2: should, should that also be uh, considered in uh, what you were talking about, a new fare adjustment mechanism, instead of uh, just linking it to inflation, it should also be linked to uh, its uh, performance, for example?
3: Oh, yes, indeed, absolutely. And and other thing which bothers me in this paper that the government has presented to the transport panel is that they are trying to justify a poor safety record mm. uh, on some spurious grounds that, oh, Hong Kong Island is more congested. There is more curbside activities. And mm. I find that to be a completely irresponsible argument, you know, saying that because Hong Kong Island is more urbanized, hence you can have more accidents. I, I think that's just downright irresponsible, in my opinion.
1: So, Timothy Howe, we hear reform the routes, improve the surface, which includes reducing uh, headway, waiting times at bus stops, and uh, safety record. Which one of those do you want to take up?
6: Well, based on the customer surveys that, um, you know, all these bus companies carry out um, and, um, you know, what really matters to people, okay, and of course including MTR, what really matters for people is the headway, basically the frequency, if you like, okay, I'm we putting it. And, um, of course, there are other factors that come in, you know, fair, uh, well, fair and uh, fair level, okay. Uh, and by other factors, I mean you know all these other uh, information systems and so on, estimated time of arrival and so on. My experience with, for instance, taking six eighty, okay. Um, yeah, the headway is 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 long, but actually because of the fact that the, now with the with the information system, right at at the at the bus. Bus shelter you you actually have a screen that tells you if you don't have your smartphone with you mm. you can actually know pretty pretty well up to the minute when the next bus arrives okay so um while i i, I must say i use the uh, mtr much more often than i use for instance a bus i i would say it, it's 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 not bad for for, for the fare okay and um, I think it's a pretty good deal, actually. Now, I want to, you know, basically explain, okay, Michael Teen basically says that, that, that there's no sense to a formula. Let me give you the intuition of the formula, okay? Basically, it's 50% of the change in nominal wage index for the transportation section. What that means, really, is that half of it is it's according to wages in the transport sector, which is fair. Rather mm-hmm. than for the rest of the sector.
1: Do, okay. do wages uh, make up 50% of their cost base? It does, yeah. Okay.
6: Yeah. And, and the other 50% is changes in C, uh, uh, composite consumer price index, CCPR. And that's reasonable. Now, the, what, the, the, why, o- the only sorry, Sorry, the o- Dr. Howard. Sorry, the only caveat. Let me finish. Yeah. Please. The only caveat there is that there is a reduction of productivity gain. Right, This 50% is change in CCPI minus productivity gain. Now, what is that? That's 0.6. That originally, as far as I could trace, all the way back to 2003 when this formula started, it really starts from the Singapore's public transport mechanism. Okay, productivity. uh, 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 What what that really means, the productivity gain, is that well. Each year, presumably, they, there is improvement, right, with technology, okay, information systems becoming, you know, widely available. You don't have to wait there for half an hour. You basically know beforehand, you, you check your smartphone, okay, when the next bus comes and then you go out the door, mm. okay? So, so all these productivity, so, so half of that, right, because it's, the other half is CCPI minus productivity gain, therefore, okay, uh, half of 0.6 is 0.3. So to me, I, I, I mean, I really don't agree with the fact that Michael Thien is, you know, while I respect him greatly on all his views on rail, I really don't think it's fair to malign the government's formula. OK, that it, it, it's nonsensical. It's not nonsensical. I just explain it intuitively.
1: Mm. So
6: and if, if you apply why they apply I ask for 50 percent is that they, for instance, I'm not defending C, but I'm just saying I'm, I'm just looking at the, all the six companies. OK, what, what are they applying for? How how much are you asking? And look at they haven't uh for, for for that for that uh line they haven't increased up uh prices since mid nineteen ninety seven. So that comes to allowable uh fair adjustment rate comes to forty nine point three mm. six percent. And they ask for fifty percent, that's pretty reasonable by the time it if it gets through. And I agree this shouldn't be a stop start thing, okay. That's why, you know, for for so many years, a couple of decades, they haven't increased their the the affairs and all of a sudden because of politics it gets delayed. By the time it gets delayed, fifty percent is nothing. Especially we're in the inflation era.
3: Hmm. Uh, doctor Howe, you mentioned that there is a there are basket of six factors and formula yeah. is one of them. And I'll ask you this question, when was the last time government actually published this formula and said that this amount of fare increases because it's a result of the formula? This whole six factors of basket of factors uh, is actually where you know there's a lot of uh, discretion and and there's a lot of uh, things that we unknown is there. And, And most of the time fare increases are just a number. They're not supported by anything else. We can look at historical records and we can you know trace things and that's a different thing but so far in the bus industry never ever have I remembered that the bu- com- bus government has come out and justified that the 5% fare increase is based on this formula n- n- that hasn't happened yet.
6: Well okay let, let me put it this way okay this issue came out the last couple of days yesterday I was invited to come on back chat this morning so I just googled the thing okay the Legislative Council Panel on Transport for discussion on seventeenth March twenty twenty three for tomorrow, fair increase applications from franchise bus operators. They, they all these six factors are laid out very clearly. Okay. The numbers I spewed up, by the way, except for the couple of examples that I gave, okay, uh for, for City Bus ninety eight and five b comes from that twenty three page document. Okay? I did not pull it out of the a hat, okay. Now, what the government chooses to, as I understand, every time is that well, you know, if if there's too much, you know, uh, noise, okay from legislators, from the public, then they basically get cold feet and they then say, oh, blah, 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 you know, and then they put it off for a couple of years.
3: That blah, blah, blah was it, the problem for me. Yeah, that, that yeah. is exactly no, the I, issue. I
6: fully agree. In <laughs> fact, when in 2003, when the Environment Transfer and Works branch, okay, secretary for, for, for this was Sarah Liao, Liu sao not remember? She was the one who, you know, wanted the committee to come up with this thing, okay? Now, to be fair, I was on that committee, but I was—I—I I did not agree with that formula, mm. okay? But nevertheless, okay, I said from there on I would not be against that, okay? But they, they want to go ahead with that, okay? They start, if I recall correctly, in 2003, okay? But but the point there is that this has, you know, this has all been debated in the, Different names for it, okay, modified baskets and so on and so forth. And of course, public acceptability, affordability, all these things, right? The return of the company, reasonable rate of return for a bus operator, all of these are taken into account. If I recall correctly, Sally, I wanted the thing objective, okay? But you can't make these things entirely objective because of political factors, okay? But as close as, you know, it could come to objective is this formula. Okay, out of one out of the six factors, okay, mm. and I think that you know we we can reform that, we can change it, but not entirely throw throw the baby out with the bath of water and come up with something new,
1: okay. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've got a quick one here from one of our, uh, there's a bit of a debate brewing on our Facebook page. and Maybe I can get your guys' a quick comment on this uh, before we close out. Sailor Saki says, a good example of our government's failed env- environmental strategy, now would be the time to make the switch to EV buses and take pollution off the streets. F- uh, fossil fuel burning buses should no longer be subsidized in any way. Uh, the repost to that is from Michael Hoffman, uh, summarizing a bit, he calls that a bit of a fallacy and about and questions the total carbon footprint of EVs, you know, only becomes effective after 150,000 miles of driving with smaller batteries, 250 with longer ones. Uh, and the fact that, you know, we have to remember that the electricity for the EVs comes from our coal-fired power plants. Um, our energy companies are allowed to have a higher rate of return based on investing in green technologies. Why is trans- why is green transportation not part of the formula? I mean, Alec, is that
3: well, I think there, that there is a green transportation issue which is running in parallel and government is trying to do. There are pledges by the government to decarbonize Hong Kong transport system, replace the entire fleet by 2050. And many of the bus companies have gotten on that bandwagon and they're doing that uh, their bit. Of course the transition of you know 6500 buses in Hong Kong which are of different ages is not going to happen overnight it's going to take a little bit of time before that happens and so yes the industry is moving towards that and whether how energy is generated that's a different part of the equation and I will not won't go into the debate of that one because first I'm not even qualified enough to do that so but coming to transport which is air quality issue mm. is certainly that is something that all bus companies are addressing and it's a global trend and also because electric buses have started to become financially more viable as compared to the ice buses because of all these fuel price fluctuations mm-hmm. etc so w- w- the whole industry is moving towards that so that's happening and nevertheless it's of course not happening overnight
2: all right and, and when we look at uh fare increases uh, bus fare increases i mean we've, we've been uh, talking about affordability as as a part of it um what about uh, i mean do we really have to increase it by that much what about uh, increasing the sources of revenue of bus companies I- is that a, is that a possibility
3: that's indeed a possibility and i think this is a debate that has been happening with the government for for 10 years you know can we not improve the terminus uh, at different bus you know buildings which are dark damp the air quality is poor, mm. can we not spruce them up, improve better lighting, have some shopping, have some convenience. And, and
1: for, uh, enforce idling mini
3: buses you know, to, it, so they turn off their engines. Precisely, all of those. And, and if we can make them nice places, then certainly there is an opportunity to improve the non fare revenue. So that's certainly an area which we can address um, in, in that uh, you know, overall ecosystem of, of the buses. Mm
1: dr Howe, uh, should we be putting a green green uh, more incentives for green technologies in the transport sector and, and buses
6: well actually you know um uh you mentioned uh, green technology all these are in the, in the six companies um you know per per performance summaries okay basically um it, you know from from my reading of that uh, uh the agenda papers tomorrow okay mm-hmm. Uh, Ledger post papers, okay. They they too do, do take that into account, okay. Bus companies themselves, and of course, the government would take those into account. So I, I don't think it's, it's it's a problem, okay. And the affordability, okay. Uh, that's certainly taken into account, okay. Public acceptability, okay. And um, uh, the the trouble with all these things, okay, is that once you once you depart from a formula then you know the water gets very muddy
4: mm. and
1: and you know the, the
6: six factors the other you you can put your, your entire weight on one or two of them yeah. right and say public accepted for forget it okay and then freeze your fare for the next two years but i mean then of course, as long Jane's
1: concerned, would come out right, and that is that you know uh, wants to run a bus company. Okay, okay. well, fair yeah. enough. I'll, I'll have to close a couple of comments from our Facebook page. Les Bailey says, uh, although it's not perfect, let's not forget that Hong Kong buses, route services, and drivers are comprehensive and far more efficient than most services you'll find around the world. If you want the bus companies to continue, they need to make the money. And Kit Chan says. Uh, each bus operator has their own strong routes in different districts. Why can't they work out a cross operator discount package to attract more passengers? I think they do have some cooperation. There are a lot of
3: intermodal discounts between the bus operations, so yes, that is happening. That is a thing. And
1: uh, Colin emailed us and said
3: uh, the Hong Kong
1: government needs to man up and make public transport really public, take over all the companies and run them. Look at Japan's peerless public transport system. A radical suggestion that we will have to address another day because it's time to thank our guests, Alec Jane, managing director of Trans Consult Asia. Thank you very much, and thank you to Dr. Timothy Howe, honorary associate professor at the Hong Kong U. Business School.
3: Thank you, Andrew.
0: Thank you. Thank you guys. 95
6: years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, audience of RTHK. I'm Paul Chen, the financial secretary. This year marks the 95th anniversary of RTHK. I wish RTHK every success in starting a new chapter for public service broadcasting.
2: 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 stay, years
1: tuned years tuned stay tuned with Hong,
5: with Hong Kong.
2: You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 23388 266 and have your say.
1: And we are back on Bag Chat. Uh, Shifting gears, we're talking beef jerky with uh, Ms. Jilly Wong-Fan Han, uh, Chief Executive and Chief Chef at the Consumer Council. No, she's not a chief chef. That's not why we're talking beef jerky. Uh, Ms. Jilly Wong, we're talking about beef jerky and other uh, dried meat products because you have found a problem in your uh, investigations. Can you tell us what the problem is? Yeah, um, for this
5: kind of uh, dry meat, it is very tasty, so it's very popular. Uh, in Hong Kong and also probably worldwide is also very popular. So this time we test 30 different types of this kind of, uh, dry meat, uh, uh, uh products. Uh, but we found that, um, uh, out of, uh, all the samples, you know, there are samples in that have found to have the, uh, carcinogenic, carcinogenic you know, contaminants we call, uh, in short term is PAH. And also for a specific sample, uh, we found, um, veterinary uh, drugs, uh, in there. We call it the AOZ. Uh, because, um, for this particular, uh, sample, um, it, uh, it already violates, you know, the harmful substance in food regulations for Hong Kong and also exceeds the action uh, level of uh, EU, which is a uh, 0.5 milligram. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what the funding was, uh, is a 0.95 milligram from this sample. Um, so we, uh, we think, you know, it is more wise, you know, for consumers to avoid that. Um, about, you know, the PAH, which is a carcinogenic contaminant, uh, there are different types of PAH because it exists in the air. It is a contaminant, uh, it also, uh, can be generated through a high temperature cooking method. Um, but of course, you know, for this kind of dry, uh, meat, um it requires you know high temperature cooking. So what we found is the thirteen samples uh found to have PAH, pH and also out of this thirteen sample seven of uh seven of the uh pork jackie and also two beef jackie um they found to have the class one uh, carcinogens uh, which is that means you know it is have good enough evidence to prove that it could cause uh cancer to human beings.
1: Oh, yeah that's no, that's not good.
5: Yeah, and also another, uh, and, and one specific sample, it is a beef uh, jackie. Um, the the cumulative total of four types of pH, uh, it is 18.2 milligram per uh, kilogram. So it exceeds the uh, EU uh, upper limit of uh, 12 milligram uh, by 50%, and also um, the specific contaminant um, uh, is, uh, is uh content uh, it's close to, uh, I I mean, you know, the specific one, you know, for the class one, the type one carcinogens, um, it is uh, already close to 1.9 milligram as the founding and the upper limit for EU is also two milligram. That means it is very close to the, uh, the EU upper limit already. Always. So what does it mean is uh, for consumers? Of course, you know, uh, it is very tasty. Uh, you want to eat it sometimes, but um, uh, when you have the option to choose something that without the contaminants, without veterinarian drugs, um, then probably it's better for you to choose you know, a, a safer product. Hmm. So this is one part of the finding. is about the safety concern. The other is about the nutrients by itself. The nutrient, because... Um, we, of course, we have to test about the sugar level, the sodium level, uh, whether um, the fat level and also the protein level, because meat, you know, is a good source for protein. From the findings, um, all samples actually are high in protein, which is a good source of protein. But on the other hand, uh, it is high in sugar, all samples high in sugar, almost all uh, samples, 29 of them. Um, even the one is not high in sodium, it's also very close to high in sodium. Um, they are all high in sodium. So it is high sugar, high sodium. Uh, for specific samples, it is also high in fat. Um, so, despite it is good as a source for protein, but probably, you know, we still have to advise consumers to avoid eating it, uh, to think twice. And also, if you want to eat it, you have to consider the frequency and also the amount very carefully
1: before you consume. Now, uh, you know, I'm looking at your report that came out and whoever wrote your report, they really like these products. The first sentence of the report is, meat jerky, meat floss, and meat crisps are all tasty treats that are almost impossible to stop eating. So either your author really, really likes these products, which is quite possible, they are tasty, Um, or are they trying to elevate them to the level of cigarettes? Are they saying they're addictive and they've got carcinogens? you know, is this is this where the Consumer Council is going with this? Should oh, we no, be putting no, no. the not, not packaging in? Not to the extent and... of
5: addictive, but it is so popular, so tasty. So it is a very common snack you know, that you found in the market. And uh, it is also uh, um, uh, well, for different people. <clears throat> when you want to have some snacks, it's very handy. Uh, you can find it from different kind of retail stores. So that's what we meant. It, it is not addictive because it's, there's no... Um, uh, no ingredients inside, you know, that make you addict. But because it's so tasty, you like it so much, sometimes when you start eating like the pork jerky or beef jackie, even the portion tell you, um, to take only one piece, you won't be able to stop, you know, um to avoid, you know, having another piece or maybe the third pieces, uh, when you eat it. So that's what we meant, you know, when uh sometimes, you know, we, you cannot stop it because it's just too tasty. It's just a tiny piece, you know, may not be fulfilling your your, uh, your appetite, you know, to have more.
2: So, sure. so, so and after listening to uh, the uh, investigations find I guess we should uh, think twice then before before uh, eating uh, these beef jerkies, right, Ms. Wong?
5: Yes, yeah, it is because it is the processed food. It is uh, another uh, another type of processed food, like sausage, like, is um, <clears throat> uh, very similar because it, it requires a lot of processing. It could be smoked, it could be uh, grilled. Uh, it could be, um, four different you know, ways, you know, to cook. And, uh, according to the International Agency for Research on Cancer, IARC, um, it has already, uh, state that, you know, um, if you consume too much, um, this kind of processed food, it is already classified as, um, increasing your chance, you know, to have, um, um to gut cancer, especially the, uh, colon cancer. So that's why, you know, when we, you know, we have to
1: be mindful about, you know, the risk to your health. So, I mean, you're looking at this and are we saying, is this uh, like something the government says, yes, it has carcinogens and therefore it's OK, but we just might tell you not to take so much like cigarettes, which the government taxes and gains revenue from. Or is it like or is there a failure in our health uh, food, like, the, like in our food inspection systems that these things are able
5: to get into the market? Um, actually, you know, the Center for Food Safety has done a lot of work in surveilling different kinds of foods in the market, but there are just too many. You, you couldn't test every single one, you know, frankly speaking. Um, the traders are still, you know, have to be highly disciplined and uphold the quality of the products to ensure that, you know, um, that's, um, minimizing the risk, you know, to consumers, especially if we are talking about contaminant in And, um, out of our findings, obviously, out of that 30 samples, um, some of them, you know, they, they don't contain PAH. Um, most of them, you know, they don't, they don't contain the veterinarian um, drugs. So that means, you know, it can be done by good sourcing of your ingredients, by good sourcing of your sources, uh, uh, and also um, good cooking methods can help, you know, to avoid having this kind of contaminants uh, uh, exist, you know, in your product. Um, so what we believe is uh, it can be done. And uh, always, you know, when the Consumer Council has this kind of uh, product test, um, it is serving for two purposes. One purpose is to provide impartial information for the consumers to make their choice. Um, they make their own risk assessment and then decide, you know, what, what they want to do with different kinds of uh, products, including foods. And another key purpose is to share the information with the, the trays, um so that, you know, they can continuously, you know, improving um, the quality and the, and the health standards, you know, of their right. products. So this is the purpose of you, the test.
1: You had, a, uh, you had a report on cooking oils uh, a few months ago and found that almost all of them also had high levels of carcinogens. I don't think any were taken off the market. Do you despair of, of having an impact or being able to, you know, let people it, know that what, these products have problems, but they're still on the market?
5: It requires continuous improvement, like reducing sugar, reducing uh, sodium in the market. Um, it is not one-off, you know, uh, effort that we yeah. can make. Well, you know, to change, okay. it requires continuous testing, continuous monitoring, continuous engagement with the trade to make them understand that you know the quality of the product is uh, fluctuates. Uh, some of them, you know, may not meet the standard and contain some contaminants um, that they have to look into, their ingredients, yeah. look into the formulation so that, you know, they can have much better choice, you know, for consumers.
1: Well, keep up the good work, Ms. Gilly Wong, Fung Han, Chief Executive of the Consumer Council for keeping the our eyes on the ball in Hong Kong and what products might be causing some harm to us. Uh, I'd also like to say thank you to everybody uh, who tuned in today for emailing us as you did and piling in on our Facebook debate, big debate continuing there. Uh, and we'll be back tomorrow when Janice Wong and I will close out a great week of Back Chat. Thanks to our producer, Kara Ha, and engineer, Song Ming Wing. This has been Back Chats.